Hey dudes, this is Michael, one of the co-hosts of Two Dudes in the Nest, the show you're about to listen to. If you are a first-time listener and you've picked one of these older episodes to listen to, maybe because it's one of your favorite games on the NES, I don't blame you. However, I just want to warn you that uh, this is, some of these episodes are three, four, maybe five years old. And this is before we got new audio equipment. This is really before we even knew what we were doing. But we... You know, we want to leave them on the feed as long as we can because we want to have plenty of episodes for people to listen to. I just want to give a fair bit of warning before we get started. If you're an older listener and you're going back to listen to an episode again, uh, you may hear something new because right before the episode starts here, we're going to have an advertisement, which is probably not what you heard the first time through. But now we started doing ads in our shows, so we're going to have an ad here. Anyways, I hope you enjoy. And if you do enjoy, please subscribe to the podcast and listen to as many episodes as you can. It always helps us out. And tell a friend, too. That'd be nice. Enjoy the show. This is Nick Stevens from the 90s Entertainment Show, and you are listening to Two Dudes in an S. Or is it Two Dudes in an NES? I don't know. Whatever it is, you're listening to it. Hey, Justin. What's up, dude? Uh, not much. Just sitting here with another guy, an actual live person. Again? I know. Tell me about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh... You know, we're going to talk about Metroid today, and uh, apparently this is like a huge deal for this guy and his, Sweet. his game that's coming out. Sweet. Uh, I'll let him introduce himself mainly because I can't pronounce his last name. So, <laughs> Matt. Wait, would you like me to try? Hey, everybody. Would you like me to try? You know how... Is, is, his Go name's not it. Japanese, but you're welcome to try. <laughs> no, Go ahead. <laughs> You can call me Mr. Miyamoto. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, my name's Matt Rathel. I'm the studio director for a game development company called Graphite Lab. And we are currently working on a game called Hive Jump, which uh, is slated for PC and now Wii U, which we recently announced, and it's heavily inspired by Metroid. So that is why I'm excited to be here on this particular cast. Sweet. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. Um,. I guess Metro. I feel really bad this week, for, but I feel really good at the same time. So, <laughs> number one, I feel really bad because I was so busy that I didn't get to play this game at all. How dare you! So, I've played it. A, Have you played it? I've played it. You played it before, though, yeah, right? Yeah, I played it a ton throughout my life. But this week, in prep for the show, I didn't get to play it. However, wow. near the end of the show, when we talk about the retrofitted trophies, I did come up with a bunch. Because I felt bad about last week and my failures there, so nice. Well, this one was actually kind of hard for me. I've been listening to other casts and I had lots of like, I was quick witted. Now I'm kind of gonna stumble on the retrofitted trophies. I think. Okay. Well, you, I've got a few. We've got a whole show until we get to there, so you can. Think yeah, just so. think about it while we're talking I'll think about of it. it. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe I'll win the high score this week. Well, if if you played it, there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. You, have a, you didn't play it. You have it, a one in two chance now. You didn't play it, but you... Instead of a one in three chance. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. 
Probably not. All right, how about some history, Justin? Justin's historical tidbits and trivia. Well, all right, let's talk about some history. So, to begin, I want to kind of go back way before this game was even thought about. Um, and it was kind of an interesting story to me as I was reading reading up on the history for this game. Uh, the producer of this game, uh, as many people know, is Gunpai Yokoi. I think I got that. I think you got it this yeah. time, actually, yeah. Gunpai Yokoi. I'll buy it. So, Gunpai Yokoi... Uh, Got a job in nineteen six in the nineteen sixties um, at a uh, company called Hanafuda, and he was actually just working on the he was the machine maintenance man for this uh, company. And uh, one day, Hiro- Hiroshi Yamakuchi Yama- Yamuchi, <laughs> <laughs> the president of Nintendo at the time, came to the factory. And uh, he was he, he he noticed this toy that Yokoi had actually designed that uh, he designed this on during like his break time. It wasn't uh, he didn't design it for the company that he was working for. And what it was was an extending arm. And Yokoi just kind of made it as just a just for fun. Just uh, and uh, the. Uh, President of Nintendo took notice of it, thought it was really cool. So he wanted this guy on his team. So he hired Yokoi, and they developed what was called the Ultra Hand. And it became a huge success. And uh, then Yokoi then went on to make several more games, or several more little toys for Nintendo. And then later on got into the, uh, the gaming. And was actually asked to supervise Donkey Kong, which was created by a guy named Shigeru Miyamoto, who is... Who's that? You don't know who that is? No. I feel like you're being facetious there. Maybe a little. You're doing a podcast about the <laughs> NES and you don't know who that is, Miyamoto. So Miyamoto... Yeah, just kick, just kick me off now. Yeah. You're done. You're fired. Uh, welcome to One Dude in an S. No. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, so he was kind of a mentor a little bit to Miyamoto, and then Miyamoto kind of became more famous, really, than, than Yokoi. I, I guess you could say that. Uh, probably most people know Miyamoto, but they don't, maybe don't know about Yokoi. So, uh, Yokoi went on to head something called Nintendo Research and Development One, which was a, uh, which was Nintendo's oldest development team. And this development team developed several famous games. It was founded in 1970, and it uh, included some big names, um, including a small club within Nintendo R&D One, which was called Team Shikamaru, and uh, that was composed of Makoto Kanu, Yoshio Sakamoto, and Turu Asawa. Which <laughs> I think it did pretty good. Good yeah. job with those. Yeah. Not bad. Hey, so is, I'm are you trying to say that Nintendo is clicky? I believe so. No. So it's this like, was the like this small group was actually the ones that were responsible for developing Metroid. And the interesting thing that I found when I was reading about this, there's a lot of history out there um, on the development of Metroid. Um, and one of the interesting things that I found was. Um, 
Sakamoto, who's probably one of the more outspoken. There's more, seems to be more quotes out there from him than any of the other ones. Uh, he was talking about when they were designing this game that it was kind of a more free-willing uh, development. And they had a lot of freedom within it, which is kind of a difference from what we talked to David Crane about. And I was kind of thinking about it. You know, Nintendo really had their their thumb on the third-party game developers. But I guess within when it was in-house, right. they uh, they had more freedom to do kind of what they wanted to do. And, uh, which was interesting to me, uh, kind of a, a difference from, uh, what we talked about last week. So Nintendo's a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> well, about. I think David Crane actually mentioned that, that, uh, Nintendo, he, did, he didn't outright say it, but I think he, uh, insinuated yeah, Nintendo kind of played by their own rules, uh, which I guess they earned the right to do that, but whatever. So Yokoi was kind of known, who became the producer of this game, Metroid, was kind of known for not being a guy that really reinvented the wheel. Uh, he kind of took get, took ideas that worked in other games and kind of included them into uh, his games. And so the idea behind Metroid was something that they wanted to develop that was a side-scrolling action game, but at the same time had the more non-linear fashion, like the popular game that came out the year before A Legend of Zelda. Um, so it it kind of included those two elements, which was really neat. Uh, also, I want to kind of mention, I, I kind of failed to mention this, when Nintendo R&D 1 division, uh, they also uh, teamed up with Intelligent Systems to, to make this game. So... Um, Who's Intelligent Systems? Intelligent Systems was kind of a... It was like a third-party uh, gaming company. Um, I don't really... You know, they were involved in the development of, of Metroid. Um, so... Uh, I don't know. They, they All right, didn't mean to uh, didn't mean to put you on the spot. There. Yeah, I, I just want to give you an opportunity to fail all the listeners out there. Well, you know, it's interesting because <laughs> I, I, you know, they kept getting mentioned in this game, but then they just really didn't talk about what they did, like what what role they served. Um, but yeah, they were involved in the development. Um, a couple more points of interest. Uh, so it was developed and re- released for the Famicom and. Um, August of 1986, and then released in North America in August of 1987. Um, so here uh, also, the music was produced by uh, one of the more famous music producers for video games, especially Nintendo, um, by Mr. Tanaka. As we've talked about uh, um, before, when we talked about Duck Hunt, he developed the music also for Duck Hunt. And he also uh, was quoted talking about the very free working environment within the development of Metroid. And he said that uh, he was actually involved in some of the in the input for some of the game's graphics and uh, helped name some of the game's areas. Um, hmm. So that was interesting. Uh, Sakamoto and I'll, one of the more famous things to talk about Metroid, obviously, is the end of the game, or one of the endings, where um, the main character turns out to be a girl. And so, 
there they talked about you know, I kind of wanted to find out what was the story behind that why do it why what 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 was the because you know every video game coming out it was all guys all the heroes were guys what was the, the thought here well Sakamoto apparently explained it that it's not a very interesting story one of them just one day said hey wouldn't this is the actual quote hey wouldn't that be kind of cool if it turned out that this person inside the suit was a woman uh and then that's how that's how games were designed yeah. back then wouldn't it be cool wouldn't it be cool if yeah sure and, yeah basically that's what is happened. that not how games are designed now yeah now there's too much too much corporate too many too much data too many analytics yeah. No, it. Uh, I'm sure that happens. We do it a lot here too. So, wouldn't it be cool if is a great way to start a game design yeah. discussion? Yeah. So anyway, um, you know, that was the story behind it. Apparently, it's not really much of a story that they just decided, hey, let's do this, and they did it. Um, also, Sakamoto um, uh, admitted that a huge influence on the Metroid game was the movie that came out in 1979 uh, by Ridley Scott. Alien. Um, so that was pretty interesting. They had a, a big influence from from that movie. Um, it was also one of the first games to include uh, multiple endings, uh, with five total endings in um, in total. And uh, so, to talk about the music too, I wanted to talk about the music um, that. Uh, Tanaka developed. He wanted to make it seem almost like a little bit of loneliness to, to develop a loneliness. So that was a, a, the one of the key elements of the game was kind of develop this this idea that it's the main character against the world, Samus, as Samus against the world, and uh, and and he so in, and that was his idea when developing the soundtrack for the game. Kind of to make this loneliness and almost kind of a quiet sound to it, and uh, mm. it says that uh, the only time the main Metroid theme was is heard is when Mother Brain is defeated to give the uh, victorious player a catharsis, so kind of a relief. Um, yeah. To quote a book, a book that was wrote, um, Ma- um, Maestro Mario. It was a book about Tanaka. Uh, Tanaka's greatest, this is a quote from Andrew Shardman, who wrote that book. Um, Tanaka's greatest contribution to game music comes, paradoxically, in the form of silence. He was arguably the first video game composer to emphasize the absence of sound in his music. Tanaka, Tanaka's score is an embodiment of isolation and atmospheric effect, one that penetrates deeply into the emotion. I know it's penetrated into my emotions <laughs> on more than one occasion. So, the, the game's very creepy. Yeah, mainly because of the music. So, but, it is. Yeah, but we can get into that when we talk about. Yeah, that. just to kind of wrap up, I'm kind of being long winded today. Um, just yeah, really. Yeah, <laughs> just to kind of. <laughs> I enjoy to, it. I'm sitting here listening. I'm I'm learning. Stuff. Yeah, uh, I did a lot of research this week because we because apparently I got called out for my history. <laughs> on one of our ratings a four star rating at that yeah uh oh but anyway uh, so Metroid was one of the more successful games obviously to ever be created uh, one of the more successful franchises 
continue to be made in the sequels and for other game systems like the Game Boy, Super Nintendo. Um, Nintendo Power listed it on uh, as 11th of his top 200 games. Um, and it was 69th by Electronic Ga- Gaming Monthly in their top 100, 6th by Gaming Informer, and 7th uh, in 2009 by Game Informer. So, um, 69th on Electronic yeah, Gaming Monthly? that was kind of weird to that? me. Um, Odd man out, for sure. Yeah. And then, um, to talk about one more thing about um, the 1988 Nintendo Power Awards. We talked about the Nintendo Power Awards when we talked about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, it uh, didn't it was nominated for four categories that year, but it had a lot of uh, competition. Um, Legend of Zelda being one, and Super Mario Brothers two, also designed by Mr. Miyamoto. Um, so it didn't actually win anything, but it was nominated for best graphics and sound. It was nominated for uh, best play control, best character. And I think best overall, yeah, best overall. So, uh, but it didn't win any of those categories. But it has. So was the it, was the master the mentor bested by his student? I think so. I think you could say that. Oh, oh no. yeah. So uh, anyway, to talk about Mr. Yokoi, uh, he continued to work for Nintendo until about the mid '90s when he was the one that actually developed. Well, many people probably remember the failed Virtual Boy um, and yes, indeed. after that was developed he parted ways with Nintendo I guess after it didn't really work out and he died two years later he got hit by a car on the interstate in Japan Ooh. Uh, so not to end on a sad note but uh, that's the history of Metroid <laughs> in a nutshell. Not to end on a sad note, but we're going to end on a sad <laughs> yeah. note. So that's the history of Metroid, and there's plenty more out there on the internet to to read about. I've tried to just kind of hit the high points as best that I could. And um, so if you're interested in the history of Metroid, it's one of probably the more wrote about games, written about games. Anyway, Michael, did you uh, did you did you go on a big long journey search for this game? Michael's quest to find the cart. Um, sort of, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I had one cart as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a yellow cart. I po- posted something up on ah. Facebook talking about the different carts, and uh, sure. So. I, when I was a kid, I had the yellow card. It was like the classic series card. It was the re-release card. Because I guess I got it when I was an older kid, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I got it when I was eight or nine instead of five or six. Mm-hmm. So I got the re-release card. And so then I went through my life with the re-release yellow card. And then one day, when I was after I started collecting games again, you know, a couple years ago, I saw the silver one for a good deal and I was like yeah I've already got it but now that I'm being a collector I feel like I should have a true collector I feel like I should have one of each you know so sure I got both so I got a couple years ago I also got the silver cart cartridge and now I have both cartridges 
And I don't know really which nice. one I prefer. I probably prefer the yellow one because that's the one I remember. I have the fondest memories of the yellow one, but the the silver one's cool too because it's kind of it kind of followed the same lines as the black labels, only it turned into a silver label. Sure. Yellow one's got the signature Samus pose though, with like the crouch and the mm-hmm. blaster. Yeah, but I don't know if it uh, was the signature pose sick. until uh, until that cartridge came out, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's the tre- it's the trendsetter. Right. Yeah. How about you guys? Did you do you have the cart? Do you have the game, Justin? Did you get it on the Wii? I have a feeling you got it on the Wii. Yeah, I've got it on the Wii. I need to pull out my old Nintendo. I did have this cart. Uh, I need to go back home and get go to my dad's house and pull out the old Nintendo and be more of a, of a purist here. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if we've outed <laughs> Justin yet or not, but he just he just <laughs> he just plays the games on the virtual console. Well, so if we ever play games that aren't on the virtual console, he usually gets gets the gets the shaft. You know, well, it's kind of a it's kind of half legit. I mean, at least it's still you know to a Nintendo yeah. system. It's not like an emulator or anything. So, I uh, I actually didn't have. I played this game when I was a kid, but I didn't actually have the cart. Um, I have it now. Um, one of our producers at the uh, office in our Springfield studio is a huge collector to the point where he has like doubles of games and like 50% of his collection is still in the shrink wrap. Um, so one day he came in with a huge box of games. Yeah, no, he's an embarrassment of riches, this guy. Um, but um, he comes into the office with these like a box full of games and he's like, these are my doubles. He's like, they're for sale. Does anybody, you know, want some? And I took home like a, an old like plastic carry case of about 10, 15 games for like 10 bucks or something. And uh, Metroid was among them. So um, of the 2025, 20, you know, original cards that I have for my NES, uh, Metroid is one of them. And, uh, and I did fire this up and prep for this podcast. And, um, and, and we'll have plenty to talk about once we start talking about the game because it, it played... Uh, you know, one way when I was younger, and now I see it in a very different way now that I'm older, and uh, I feel like I should be better at the thing, but I still kind of suck at it, and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting transition. But, um, but so, yeah, this is one that I actually had in the library. didn't have to search for it. The Game Discussion. Well, let's, let's go ahead and talk about the game, then, because that's a good segue. Mm-hmm. Rob would be proud. Yeah. Uh, I practiced. <laughs> um, let's just... I, I'll tell you about my... I'm kind of in the same boat as far as playing it as a kid and playing it now. I mean, of course, I've played it since I was a kid, even though I didn't get to play it this week. As a kid, I felt like I was really good at the game, and I really loved every bit of it. And then, this is just a short version of the longer discussion, but nowadays, sure. I uh, I can't figure out what to do, and... <laughs> it's just I feel like it's really confusing. I don't know if games today have just made it easier to figure out, like with maps and all this stuff. Sure, mm-hmm. it definitely wears on you, doesn't it? You're like you're begging for a mini map, right? Uh, yeah. There's no real interface or pause screen to show you what kind of weapon you mm-hmm. have, you know, because you can switch between ice beam, wave beam, and stuff. I mean, there are some, uh, you know, you're pressing select to switch to missiles and other stuff. Like there's some, there's some things that it could definitely benefit from. Um, that uh you know if anything just a map i think would be nice even if it had the old fog of war on it but uh yeah i think yeah, the, definitely uh, different i think the 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 issue with this game is i mean the really the only issue for me 
and then we can start talking about how much we love about it. <laughs> but the only issue for me is the, is I guess the interface. I mean, like you said, you, later games and games after this era, and once you get into Super Nintendo stuff, like for sure. for instance, Super Metroid. Um, sure. I mean, they give you uh, like a pause screen where you can see your items mm-hmm. and select your items. Even Mega Man, for instance, you can do that. Sure. But, uh, you know, this game really needed something because you collect so much stuff and it's such an expansive environment, mm-hmm. world. Sure. You really need some way to pause the game, see where you are, see what items you have, what you can equip and unequip and all this stuff. And it just it makes it confusing not to have that. But of course, you know that's me also saying you know I've been playing sure. games forever and I play games now and sure. they make it so easy on yeah. you. This game may have just been, you know, get over it. You need to know what you got. Get out a notebook. Sure. Well, yeah, you should have just got out your graphing paper, Michael. Uh huh. Yeah, drew a map. Wrote down all your all your accessories what? so you can have a, a reference. Right. I, I mean, I guess well, that we have is, the internet. Um, but I feel like that's kind of sure. true. Yeah. For, <laughs> well, that, that is literally what I had to start doing is kind of draw the map, right? Because you've got the earlier areas are, um, you know, similarly themed, but, you know, you've got like kind of the, the we'll call it just kind of the, the first blue corridor, and then you go into like the gold corridor, and, you know, they've probably each got five or six different doors apiece that you can go in. Some are locked behind missiles. And so there is a lot of backtracking, but I think... You know, they definitely uh, pitched that as a feature very early on, you know, because this was so early in the NES library that exploration was a game feature, right? Hours of fun to explore. So, um, you know, backtracking was a feature back then, you know, I don't know. Right. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of, um, I mean, that is the style of this game. And Metroid, Basically, you know, they've named the, this style of game after Metroid. You know, Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. Metroid sure. and Castlevania did this. Um, sure. So they kind of set this standard, and it's a game style that I love. I just wish I didn't have to draw a map to remember to go back and shoot yeah. this hole with a missile after I get uh-huh. enough missiles or something. You know what I mean? After I get sure. after I get the ice shot, I don't want to remember that I got to go use it way back here. I just need some. I guess maybe I'm just a baby. Yeah, you're a baby. I'm just a, <laughs> I'm just a big baby. A, I need I need help. High, get somebody tell me where to go after I get this. You're a high maintenance gamer. Yeah, and it's not my fault. It's 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 everybody's fault for making these games so easy nowadays. Yeah, yeah. we've we've evolved. Yep. So you abl- you you blame Miyamoto for making games like Super Mario Brothers and Legend of Zelda too easy, huh? Well, the original, well, the original Legend of Zelda is kind of the same way. I mean, yeah, you kind of have to yeah. know know where you're going, and it, you don't really have a map and all that stuff, right? So, I mean, I think it's just th- that era they didn't do that. You know, they just expected you to get out your graph paper mm-hmm. and your drafting pencil and draw out the map yourself, mm-hmm. or go out and buy Nintendo Power. That's yeah. That's, that is an option. I actually couldn't find uh, uh, issue 29, I think, 28, 29. Um, I think it had Star Trek on the cover. has the full walkthrough of original Metroid. And I went through all my back issues, and that seems to be the one that's missing. <laughs> so I literally skipped between, like, I think I started issue 13 and ended, like, issue 70. That one issue is the one that's missing. I can't find it. So 
uh, for me, if I get stuck to the interwebs, I go. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a it's an it's an incredible game, though. I, I mean, it's it really is. It that it just all comes together perfectly. And there there were games before it. Not uh, there's not many games before it, but there were games before it that kind of did this, where you got an item and you kept the item, and it changed the way the game played and all mm. this stuff. But Metroid was really the first one to make that the game. I mean, the other games, sure. they you got those items, and that was just kind of part of the overarching game. Metroid, getting yeah. the items and finding new places to go, that is the crux of the game mm-hmm. right there. Certainly. So, that, that that's, I mean, it, like I said, it started a whole style of games. Yeah, I think it's one of the more successful games, and I agree that for me playing it younger it, it was one of the more difficult ones and even playing it this past week it was still difficult um, on, the, on the way I really kind of got frustrated a couple times you know <laughs> but uh, yeah I mean but like you said you can't argue with how good of a game it really is and how innovative it really was you know they did so many things that were different you know, it's, it's, you know, like I was talking about in the research and development, you know, taking the elements of the side scroll and also the non-linear fashion, you know, that, that's, that, that sure. was innovative for that time and, and it was a great game for it. Sure. Yeah, they were leading in where you had games like Kid Icarus that had come out that had taken the vertical mm-hmm. approach, but you couldn't go back down. And then you had Mario that could go right, but it couldn't go left. And so what you were talking about earlier about Gunpei, kind of recycling things it was kind of that like recycle but try and improve right. type of philosophy where we're going to take this we're going to take that and then we're going to see if we can go up and down can we go left and right and that's one of the reasons why at the very beginning when you get the morph ball it is immediately to your left so you can't really miss it but it forces the player to understand that they can go left in this game that was such a big transition big feature and um from the articles that i've read and you know research that i've uh read that's why they put the ball immediately to the left is so that the player would know right off the bat that this game is different, mm-hmm. um, which was pretty cool. And it's a clever um, you know, choice in game design, and we kind of reuse that now just even in our modern thinking of kind of directing the player, um, you know, whether it's something you know, simple like just kind of moving in a different direction or whether it's trying to use a particular weapon, uh, you know, right? So Metroid throughout the whole game does a lot of this where if they give you a new weapon or like, you know, you get some some boots or, you know, the ice beam or something. They'll give you something that you have to you have to prove that you know how to use the weapon in order to kind of get past that area type of thing. Um, and we see this referenced and reused this logic of design all the time uh, in terms of, like, basic game design. Um, so it's, you know, definitely referenced uh, in that regard as well. It's, it's something that Nintendo has always done really well too they've always cleverly designed their games they kind of got away from it a little bit where they started to actually tell you what to do like some of the zelda games sure. on the wii it's like you have to do this you have to do this <laughs> sure but in the beginning yeah. um that's really what they did they designed the game so that you learn the game as you were playing it like we talked Absolutely. about way back in the first episode when we talked about mario how the mushroom right you basically had to get the mushroom mm-hmm. Yep. So that they could show you that the mushroom is good. You want these mushrooms. Mm-hmm. This is another instance where you have to go left to progress. So they're showing you, you can go anywhere. You can go left, right, up, down. Mm-hmm. So don't force yourself to just go right. Because people were used to going right. I mean, mm-hmm. Nintendo has done that consistently over the years. Been able to 
use this clever game design to help the player learn how to play the game. Even, I mean, even in the newest little Zelda game for the 3DS, I mean, they still do that where you've got, uh, I can't think of a particular answer, but they put like a skull next to a fire and you have to swing to hit the skull and then you accidentally put out the fire and you're like, oh, well, I can swing and put out the fires. So they they do this, you know, Nintendo's probably the best at it, I would think. And I, they I, are. And they, they're the, they have, they're the champs. And they have inspired other games to do it. And those are some of my favorite games when the game is able to teach you how to play the game without telling you how to play the game. That is, I think right. that is really good design when, when games are able to do that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. So the, the the graphics on the game are a little bland to me, though. Not the not the bring down again. I think it, they they work perfectly, but and it maybe just be because it was made in 1986. But uh, well, you know, I think that yeah, they may have been bland, but like you said, they work perfectly. I think to, to when they were creating this game, they wanted this kind of um, <clears throat> you know isolation, just dark feeling to it. And if you look mm-hmm. at like the movie Alien, which was a was a uh, influence alien while obviously they did a great job in their in their designing costumes and things for that movie it had that dark feel as well and i think that uh metroid succeeded in that and may have looked a little bland on the outside but uh it worked really well for the game yeah i guess i I don't want to say bland probably wasn't the Mm -hmm. word i was looking for um because bland kind of seems too negative i don't want to say that it's the, the graphics of the game are that much a negative. I guess I want to say that they're they're simple. Yeah, they're they're really yeah, simple. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got your, your your Samus character, and then you've got some bad guys, and then you've got basically just a completely black background, and then something for her to walk on. Sure. So I mean, it's very simple graphics wise, but like I said, I think it works perfectly for the game. Bland was probably the wrong word to use. Yeah, they're, they're um, definitely a lot of that inspiration from, uh, you know, Geiger's uh, kind of alien influence. A lot of the little, um, you know, it feels almost like this a little bit like this tech sci-fi, like all the, either the, you know, from when you immediately load into the game, all the little tiles have almost like veins to them, right? Similar to kind of the alien style. Um, so when you when you think about the library that was out then and compare it, you know, this game was so kind of brazenly different um, from Mario, from Zelda even. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely captured that dark feel, the isolation, everything we kind of led into so far on the podcast, I think was captured pretty well. Um, and then you get into the other areas too. Um, you know, you get into Norfair and, and other areas that have very different tile sets um, and, and kind of change that up quite a bit. So graphically, because it was so early, there's plenty of other games on the NES that I think kind of beat it as the NES evolved and as they kind of continue to push the hardware. Um, but I would say very early on, I mean, just about everything that I was seeing on the NES when I was younger was kind of mind blowing and like, oh, this is so awesome. And I remember getting like all the different beam types and just seeing what they could do and just being like, you know, wow. But I still, I think if I had to pick 
I would pick the gameplay like is one thing that's most memorable about Metroid. Um, you know, when we compare the sprites on Metroid to like the sprites on other games on the NES, I think they do kind of pale in comparison as the NES lived on, but the gameplay still mm-hmm. holds true. So that's why I give it the most props for the gameplay overall. Yeah, I mean, if, if we were going to rank gameplay graphics music for this particular game, the graphics would probably be last. But the gameplay would be... The gameplay just... I mean, it doesn't really matter what the graphics are if the gameplay yeah. is this good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with both those statements. Yeah. So I guess that's a good segue into music then, maybe? Maybe? Two for two. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. No. Talk about yeah. uh, so, but, Hirokazu Tanaka. Tanaka is probably, like you said earlier, he's kind of the most famous, but he's also, he may be one of the most diverse Mm -hmm. uh, music creators on the NES. I mean, you look at, like you said, he made, he did Duck Hunt, and just take the three games that, some three of the most famous ones he did, Metroid, Kid Icarus, and Duck Hunt. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see similarities between Kid Icarus and Metroid. In fact, I think our listener Aaron Hickman got him confused whenever we were trying, whenever he's trying to guess the game. But Kid Icarus is more of the the the, insp- the the similarities in Kid Icarus are more of the like the ending theme to Metroid and the beginning theme. All the stuff in the middle that's very sparse are not similar. Yeah. And the Duck Hunt is just completely different, but it's really cool and catchy. Yeah. Really short little spurts of 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 music. Um. I just think he's. I think he's very diverse. I think everything he, almost everything he did, at least, on the NES was memorable. Mm-hmm. And it was cool. Well, yeah, Kid Icarus is yeah one of those like super memorable themes for me, as is Metroid. But sorry, go ahead. No, I was just. I, I was gonna say I'd like to read that book about um, Maestro Mario. It'd be pretty interesting book, I think. Um, also, Kid Icarus also came out of. Uh, R and D one as well. Same guys pretty much made that game. But that's like oh yeah. really, and it, 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 I guess it could be to note. I, we may have mentioned it last time, but Tanaka, he basically did all the Black Label games. So any of the music and that you hear from the Black Label games, that was him. Mm-hmm. And he did a lot of Game Boy games too. I mean, if you, I mean, like Super Mario Land on the, on on Game Boy. I mean, he did a lot of Game Boy games. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the um, as far as uh, music on Metroid goes for us, I mean, it's one that we're throughout pretty much the entire series has kept that same theme of trying to get this like, you know, these really dark tones, but also like kind of these like uh, motivating cadences, like you're, you know, because you're kind of like this, you know, you're almost like a space marine. I guess now it's like a coin term, but like, um, you know, the very you know, beginning where we're looking at original Metroid, it wasn't like a thing that was so common in games. But um, they have to strike this balance between the isolation, but also this music kind of pumps you up, you know. Um, so we're trying to kind of strike that same thing within our game. And it's really challenging to like try and fuse those two themes together to make you feel isolated, calm, eerie, um, but also like pumped up, action packed. So, um, you know, it's it's cool to see this happen so early on in the life of the NES and then see the theme continue throughout all the rest of Metroid games, because I, I think the score for each one is tremendous. And although I started to fade out once they got into, like, the Prime series, um, you know, the earlier Metroid games, um, I'm a huge fan of the soundtracks for all of those, especially the original. 
Yeah, it is interesting that you you, you brought that up. Um, the it does seem like when you're exploring, it's just little beeps and bloops. Yeah. And then you get into where you're actually fighting, like fighting a boss or something, and it's just yeah. The soundtrack all of a sudden is just rocking. Yeah. It's just it's just a really cool and interesting game design decision mm-hmm. to have the music change so drastically from when you're exploring sure. to when you're fighting these big battles. And like you said, it really pumps you up. I mean, when you're exploring, it's just kind of relaxing. You're kind of looking around for yeah. for holes in the wall to roll into or whatever. And, sure. And then you get into a fight and you're really... It's on. It's really motivating. Yeah. It's almost like this one was the first NES game that was actually scored like a film. Like, if you think about, like, Mario and Zelda, the other two that we've been mentioning... The music doesn't really change when you get into the boss fights, but this one does. It changes when you go into different scene, like the, uh, areas and stuff. Um, so it's um, it's one where I feel like they they tried to score it like a movie. You know, you're going into um, you know fight a boss, so it's now it's very upbeat. But then when you're done, it goes back to kind of the calm tones. Or when you go down the elevator, it's like literally like elevator music beeps and stuff uh, to go into the different areas. So it's uh, it's pretty cool and very very cinematic before I think games ever thought they could compete in that way. Right. Yeah. The, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's hard to, uh, it's kind of hard to explain on a podcast. So if anybody's out there has not played Metroid, which I hope you have played Metroid before, uh, once you play it, you'll know exactly what we're mm-hmm. talking about. For sure. You know, Mike, I, I, I wasn't going to, in the history, I didn't mention this because I didn't want to step on your toes, but you haven't mentioned it yet, so I don't think you're going to do it. Usually you like to read a oh. read a bit from the oh, manual. Oh no, the manual. Um, so I didn't mention, and I don't know if you're going to try to look it up here real quick, but uh, I am. I am. You didn't mention the fact that in the the original manual they referred to 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 her as him. The main character was referred to as a he in the manual, but yeah, in the game oh, really? they changed it over to be a girl. So it was pretty interesting. Okay, I got the manual. Okay, I don't know if I feel this, I don't know. I feel I'm better. sure they revised it at we, some we, point to, to to reflect those changes. But anyway, go ahead. This manual is copyrighted in 1987. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's the original. And it's very colorful. It's very very colorful. Oh man, this story takes place in the year 2000. <laughs> but but it's <laughs> cosmic it, calendar. Is it is it another calendar. 2000x? Yeah. It, oh wait, it's two two x two zero x five. Yeah, oh, nice. It's, it's cosmic Sorry. calendar. So the history part took place actually in the year two thousand. Um, representatives from many different planets in the galaxy established a congress called the Galactic Federation, and an age nice. of prosperity began. <laughs> so that's what I happened. love. How this this was written in eighty seven. You said. Uh-huh. I love how ambitious no. our society was, and in thirteen <laughs> years. You know, it's 1980. You know, we don't have flying cars yet, but in 13 years, we're going to get get that Galactic Federation. That's right. the way yeah, it was, right. though. I well, I mean, remember, it did happen, right? I, I could remember as a kid that that year 2000 was going to be like everything was going to change. <laughs> we were going to have flying cars. We we're quick. going to have to drive cars. Uh, you know, you just you could just set, teleporters. Yeah, and just, it, was just, it was insane. Like what they said the technology was going to be, and obviously, technology has 13. done really well. But yeah, we I think. A quick decade. Just... We decided to we decided to make iPods yeah. instead. Yeah, I was about to say. I think we decided oh, to just make video games better yeah. instead of setting yeah. up a galactic go. federation. Yeah. 
Although that that's what Y two K was, right? The, the that was the setup of the Galactic Federation. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. But it's got a really it's got a really long story. I'm not going to read okay. it, but the story is really long. All right. It's like out of out of like a 15 page manual. The story is about seven or eight pages. <laughs> um, I don't see where it mentions Samus as a he, but. Of course, I'm not. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. It says he's the greatest of all the space hunters yeah. and has successfully completed numerous missions that everybody thought were absolutely impossible. Yeah. So it does say he's a he. Yeah. Cheesy. He, she. Cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> so they didn't uh, They didn't cover their bases on that one. They didn't go back and change the uh, that. So. And they do provide you a map. In the manual, but it's a it's a hand drawn. Right. It says, "Here's the main part." Yeah. Here's another big part over here that's green and it's got a bad guy in it, and here's another big part yeah. that's red. It's got a bad bad guy in it. So it's not really a map, but it does kind of give you a slight idea. I wanted to say that this is one of the first games where they referred to create like to something as being a mini boss as well. Um, I mean, I know that they use that language outside of games, but, you know, it became like kind of common language for like the next 10 years to say boss, mini boss, um, with Craig and um, uh, Ridley um, and being like in hideouts. Like these Mm -hmm. are like thugs, like little space mafia bosses type of thing. Um, And I think that was mentioned maybe in the manual. I I don't actually have the manual. Yeah, it does. It uh, it does say mini, mini boss, uh, hideout one, hideout two. I thought that's funny looking back at it like. Um, but, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. And another one, one more thing I want to note about the manual, because we haven't mentioned this before, but, uh, it's something that was really cool about manuals back then. In this manual, you have a, uh, it's called a checkboard in this manual, but it's got a notes section in the back to where you can write down the date and where you were and what the password is. Oh, nice. And a lot of manuals did that back then, where you had notes in the back, where you could write down passwords and stuff. And I can remember renting games and having seen other people's mm-hmm. passwords in the back of the manual. Because at, rent- yeah. at my rental store, they would just give you like the whole box and the, and the manual and everything, right. if they had it. Yes. And I remember looking in there and seeing other people's passwords and using them, seeing where they were, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically, that was, that was an old form of cheating right there. You just use other people's passwords. Well, and I like the password for like rentals back then because if you had a saved game like Zelda and you rented it from the store, like you could rent it the next weekend and the, your game's gone yeah, because some some clown yeah deleted it or just the save system was less reliable back mm-hmm. then, right? I mean, I have a couple of you know Dragon Warrior saves that got nuked just because you know I mean that just happened with those cards. Um, the save wasn't very stable, um, so the passwords were a reliable way you know when you could. Um, uh, resume your game, that sort of thing. But the manuals overall, I think, is kind of a lost art. Um, you know, we know this now, having been through about 70 games ourselves between our studios, that making a traditionally printed and illustrated manual is a cost, right? And everybody's trying to make games more efficient and turn into a business. So, like, these hand-illustrated booklets that have eight pages of story just don't happen anymore very frequently, you might get one in like a big box like Mario Galaxy or something like that, but um, if you look at a lot of the games coming out, they'll just have like a little leaflet because it costs them five cents, and they'll send you to a website online to find out all the stuff. So what I like about these old 
games is there's illustrations, you know, Metroid being one of them, where there's tons of of information uh, and art in the uh, in the book, and uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, Zelda also same great manual. Yeah, it's kind of a lost art in video games, unfortunately. I do miss I miss the manuals. I uh, I know Nintendo still releases manuals every now and then on their games, usually on their their larger, you know, bigger games like the Mario's and stuff. They still do manuals every now and then, but sure. you know, I, I like manuals. I have a giant stack of manuals for games I don't even own just because <laughs> I owned them at one point, and when I went to go trade them in, I was like, I'm keeping this manual. <laughs> so, um, I guess I kind of shafted the next person, but whatever. Speaking of passwords, I think we'd be doing this game an injustice if we didn't talk about some of the more famous passwords from the Metroid. And we, uh, on this show, actually talked about one of them a couple weeks ago. The Justin Bailey password. Which, yeah, did you ever find him? No, you know. My idea, I keep thinking, like, how would anybody ever guess that password? Because you know, how would you ever figure it out? Like, if you weren't involved in the in the design of the game, how in the world did you ever figure it out? And I just I, I was thinking, maybe somebody named Justin Bailey out there was playing this game. He was like, I'm just going to put my name in for the password, and see what happens. And then uh, next thing you know, he's running around in a bathing suit. He had the thing, you know, <laughs> Justin. It, it, a guy named Justin Bailey had to just think it was awesome that he puts in his, his name and it's happened. Yeah. I mean, I kind of wish my name was Justin Bailey. I'm halfway there. When I play this game. I'm halfway there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you can just be, uh, just change your name, your last name to Bailey, and then you can be a dedicated Metroid, Metroid guy. Did you ever use the password for the harder game? To make the game more difficult? No. No. There's a password. What password it's, is that? Well, it's, uh, let's see, six. It's 12 nines and 12 Ks. And it's a, uh, you have, you'll have no various suits and the ending will be unusual, is all it says. I don't, I don't know what the ending makes it, but, uh, and uh, you can get unlimited life missiles and all power-ups by entering Narpa's Sword Zero, and then a bunch of more, uh, a bunch of zeros after twelve more zeros. So, yeah, I, I guess if you want a more detailed discussion about the passwords in Metroid, mm-hmm. go back and listen to our Easter eggs mm-hmm. episode because we do talk for about five or ten minutes about Metroid passwords. Mm-hmm. So, but Metroid is definitely famous for its passwords. Um, for sure, uh, it they had just a quick little tidbit about it is they kind of had like a a double check security feature mm-hmm. so that people couldn't just crack the password system. Of course, it's since been cracked, I think. But at the time, a lot of uh, you know, if you you were good at math, a lot of NES passwords could just be easily cracked. Like the Mega Man games were easily easy; you could figure out exactly where to put the dot mm-hmm. to get exactly what you wanted. But this game was compl- it, you couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so they've, 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 I guess, um, the password is something that's kind of famous yeah, for Metroid. Absolutely, absolutely. Anything else about the gameplay? I mean, I feel like we could probably talk all day about this. Probably. Uh, I mean, you guys want to do a walkthrough? For sure. We can just do a walkthrough for everybody? Yeah, do a walkthrough. 
Sure. Okay, well, you start by coming down the elevator thing, mm-hmm. and then go left. All right. And then you get the rolly ball thing. This is going to be like a very... Um, <laughs> Very podunk. The rolly you, ball thing. You go left. You get that rolly ball thing, <laughs> and then you roll around, and you get some missiles, and you get some bombs for the rolly ball. Blow stuff up. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> you do a bunch of stuff. Then oh. you kill Mother Brain. Yeah. <laughs> and then oh wait, there you there, go. there's something we haven't talked about, and now that we've this kind of spurred it. The big one of the biggest things about this game is there's an escape sequence. Oh yeah, you, yeah. for sure. You beat Mother Brain, then you have to escape because the planet's blowing. Yeah, up. so it's like that's a pretty big deal. You beat the last guy. You beat the last guy. You're like, okay, I did it. Wait a minute, <laughs> what's happening? Yeah, yeah. And the music is really cool. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you got to get out. Got to get out. Yeah. That was one. Of, that was probably one of my favorite parts mm-hmm. of the game. Actually, when I finally did beat it, was doing that escape sequence. I think that was really really cool. For sure. I definitely don't want to forget to mention that, mm-hmm. which we almost did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for uh, causing us to do a walkthrough and reminding me of that. <laughs> Who caused us to do All a right. walkthrough? I guess I was thinking myself. That oh, was really? my idea, wasn't it? Okay. Yeah. There you go. I just like to toot my own horn every <laughs> now and then. You know. For those of you who can't see, Mike is actually patting himself on the back. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also rubbing my head for good luck <laughs> good job buddy <laughs> like a little yeah. kid good job Mike yeah. retrofitted trophies alright okay trophies retrofitted trophies I'm anxious to I hear I came yours. up with a bunch yeah I'm anxious to hear you want me to just go through all just of mine just go at once? just go with it yeah okay alright alright the first one I came up with was called Very Nice. <laughs> and that's getting the various suit. Okay, okay. Okay. Good, good. Okay, and then I got uh, Suffragette. And that is beat the game in under five hours and find out that Samus is a girl. Of course, Suffragette was the. It's a history term mm-hmm. for women trying to get suffrage. There you go. <laughs> um. Then I got uh, Wooly Worm Wannabe, which is getting the Morph Ball. Okay. Because, you know, the Wooly Worm's like that caterpillar mm-hmm. that rolls up in the ball. Anyways, I, I feel like I shouldn't be explaining my <laughs> retro Well, that's part of the... You got to, though. You got to. You get, okay. you get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, For and, sure. And then my favorite is Samus the Hedgehog, which is getting the Screw Attack. There you go. Nice. Which is, for those that don't know, that's the one where you jump and turn into like a spinny ball mm-hmm. and attack people. Mm-hmm. So, that's Samus the Hedgehog. Hey, we could say, we could say nice. maybe Sega stole that. I don't want to be throwing accusations uh, out there. Yeah, I don't know who came first. Yeah, I don't either. I have to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> you should barely, you barely look yeah. that Alright, did you all come up with any uh, retrofitted troubles? I only had I only had two, but luckily they're different from the ones that you'd brought up. Um, the two that I had the uh, the first one was uh, I, I labeled uh, just in time, and that was beating the game in under uh, the three hours. So you got the Justin Bailey swimsuit. Oh, nice. Um, and then the next one was Mrs. Boombastic, and that was defeating any of the mini bosses using just bombs. 
Uh, apparently, using bombs on crate is a pretty common tactic in a lot of speed runs, um, just because you're smaller and don't get hit as much. So those are the only two I came up with. I feel uh, I feel like I um, yeah, it was just it was hard to to come up with some of these. Yeah, you, um, now you for, see for our Metroid. pain and our. The, I know <laughs> you guys are trying to come up with these champs things. soldiers here. So those are the two I came up with. I, that kind of can I go off on one more tangent? Please. Go for it. You, you mentioned speed runs. This game is kind of one of the first. It's one of the first games that gives you rewards for getting it done faster. So it's probably yeah. one of the first. I won't. I don't want to say one of the first, but it's one of the more famous games for doing speed runs. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people sure. that do speed runs for this game. So that's pretty cool. And a, a little trick that I I read on the internet, but have never been able to do. You can beat the game in like 20 minutes if you get right. the ice shot, and you do something where you're going in to fight. Right before you go into the Ridley area, there's like some bird that flies in or something. If you freeze that right. bird, you can jump on top of him and get somewhere else that you're not supposed to be able to get to or something. Yeah, or something. I was I was reading the same thing actually. Um, you know, last night, and apparently you can kind of skip one of the areas by doing this jump or something. Yeah. So yeah, I think the speedrun I was looking at was like 29 minutes wow. or something. Oh, wow. um, which I guess there's faster one out there ones out there, but when you watch those, you can see how. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but like the timing of the enemies and everything was just precise so that just like Mega Man runs and others, you can kind of just really just kind of walk through the thing, you know? Right. If you know what you're doing. It's all so. about timing. But anyway, Justin, you got retrofitted yeah. territory? I do, but it, I think it's kind of lame. I'm kind of embarrassed by it. <laughs> and it's one that you Go kind ahead. of Come on. stole too. Well, you didn't steal. You didn't know about it. But uh, mine was breaking the glass ceiling trophy. And that's beating the game uh-huh. in under three hours of getting to find out that Samus was a girl. Because, you know, breaking the glass ceiling, you know, they always talk about the glass ceiling. Women, you know. I don't get it. Well, you know, the, the metaphor is, <laughs> you've not ever heard the glass ceiling metaphor? Politicians talk about it all the no. time. No, I've heard. So it's like, I've heard so the it's like there's a glass ceiling that women can only get so far in life and they oh, can't okay. get up there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I thought maybe it was more like uh, throwing stones at glass houses. No, this is, you know, women can only get so far. You break the glass ceiling and you find out Samus is a girl. And, you know, so, I don't know. Like okay. I said, I felt That's like cool. it's kind of lame. But... No, I like it. I like it. Not lame. Not lame. Okay. Great. Game rating. How about a game rating? All right. Well, how are we rating it? Uh, I think we should give it a type of bathing suit. <laughs> oh. Well, you know, I'm so up to date on my uh, bathing bathing suit styles. I know, I know. So, Justin, you can start us off since you're the fashionista <laughs> among us. Uh, I don't know. Um, wow. Putting me on the spot here. Uh, okay, I'll go first. Uh, uh, okay, I'll go okay first. I got it. I got it. Okay, I'm gonna go with Speedo, the brand, because Speedo is uh, supposed to be like the best type of bathing suit, and it's for the more athletic type swimming. And this is a kind of a athletic game, you know. It's an athlete's yeah, game. Yeah. yeah, it's an athlete's game. Yeah, I'm calling that. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Matt. Uh, I'll go with uh, just the traditional two-piece bikini because for the multi-directional gameplay, you can go up, down, left, right, 
Um, you know, you're prepped and ready for anything. And, uh, you know, as a nod to the old Justin Bailey. Yeah. Okay. I was going to go with a one piece, like a onesie. Um, <laughs> mainly because this, I feel like this game just covers everything. And, you know, the, the one piece covers up the stomach, you know. So I feel like this game just covers it all. There you go. For good or for better or for worse, it's a one piece. I thought we were going to do something cool, like type of missile or something. If you pull out bathing no. suits, <laughs> you should have. Yeah, I need. You should have. I need to brush up on my swimsuit types. Maybe <laughs> yeah. I would have come up with something more clever. Yeah, you should like have known. Name, you like should have known the, better than that. That's Justin. true. Like the Bermuda Gunslinger is like a bathing suit or something that I could have come mm-hmm. up with. I mean, if you recall, we've done jelly beans. Mm-hmm. We've done dances. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what we did for the other. We done pizza types of pizza. Types of, of course duck. we did do the medieval weapon one. That was cool. Yeah, types of duck. <laughs> that was <good. laughs> nice. Yeah. That was a good one. That was a good one. All right, we got some feedback. A little bit. Okay. I'll start with our five star. Mm-hmm. We got one five star rating this this past week from Well Mustache. I love that name. Love it. Uh, He says, here's a good podcast on its way to greatness. Every week, the dudes get better and the quality of the show improves. Keep it up. So thank you, Well Mustachioed. I hope you have a mustache. I'm sure. We have to. (laughs) Uh, I guess I should also mention, which I told you guys not to let me forget, but you did, that Metroid was requested by... (laughs) Metroid was requested by MoveRite in a five-star rating. So move right, whoever you are. Thank you for your five star rating, and I hope we did this uh, did this game justice for you. Mm-hmm. All right, let's do just a little bit of Facebook feedback real quick. We got a lot of feedback on Facebook. Yeah, one of the more popular like games, thir- so you're going to get a lot of stuff on it. Yeah, so we got like 13 mm-hmm. comments or something. So I'm just going to I'm just going to take a stab at a few different ones here. Uh, Jay Jorgensen says this game was consistently a weekend rental. But I was really bad at it, like a lot of games. My cousins also owned it, so I just sat on the couch and watched them play when I was over there. So that's also something to bring up. If you if you grew up with cousins or mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, there was a lot of time spent just watching each other play games, which is it's still enjoyable, and you take turns swapping sure. the controller and stuff. Mm-hmm. See, uh, Je- sure. Jeff Upel Upel says, just played this the other day. First game I ever played with a password system. Holds a special place in my heart. Don't mess around with this one, homeboys. <laughs> I hope we haven't messed around with it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm a little scared now. <laughs> he also did a uh, hashtag historically not let down later on in the comments. So I guess is that oh he was the good? one that I think Jeff was the one that uh, told us not to let him down with a boy in a blob. So maybe he's oh. maybe he's saying we didn't let him down. Okay, uh, so he's maybe, uh, okay. He said just you know, in the past we've we've done it. Yeah. In the past we've not let him down. So don't start with this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chadwick Hall says, "Uh, this game is creepy. To me, it's basically the first survival horror game." The only thing that would have made it more so is a limited amount of ammo. Yeah. Which, that's a good point. Be. It does kind of feel like... Uh, it feels kind of like a survival horror game. you got the loneliness, and you've got the... You know, trying to make it out alive. 
and then scrounging for missiles later on yes, when you're right. out and you're at that red door. Yep, that's that's true. Uh, let's see, Eric Purcell says uh, he loves this game. The bad part was he didn't have maps or hints for the longest time. He just kept running around in circles, trying to blow up stuff, looking for secret entrances. He says, I was pretty stoked when I got the Nintendo Power with the map layout. So, yeah, we kind of mentioned that earlier. He's he he uh, he's privileged to have that Nintendo yeah, Power. Yeah, you know, before before Indeed. the Internet, really, the Nintendo Power had the, the monopoly on controlling who you know the success of video gamers out there because you know until they came out with the walkthrough or the the maps you know you were you were on your own sure yeah yep. so nintendo no no wonder nintendo power did was so successful mm-hmm. all right well um i do want to do just a couple shout outs we've got a few minutes i want to do a couple shout outs and then matt i want to give you a minute to talk a little bit more about your game because you kind of mentioned it sure. but i want you to tell me a little bit about what it is exactly you bet so one thing is i there's a show called tadpog that i started listening to and i called into their show <laughs> and i dropped our show on their show uh-huh. <laughs> as kind of like a one as a i was telling I, well i started listening to their show and they do a achievements like an old achievements for old games and i didn't even realize sure. this that we had you know we basically stole it from because they've been around a lot longer but i didn't realize it until i started listening to their show so I called in to tell them I'm sorry for stealing their idea, and in the meantime, dropped our name <laughs> on the show. So I feel like I feel like I feel like we should give them a shout yeah. out on our show. So go listen to Tadpog. It's T A D P O G. I think it's Tyler and Dave play old games. Oh, nice. They, they yeah. are they are quite a bit more vulgar than us, so don't listen with your kids. But they are hilarious. So mm-hmm. go give them a listen, and also listen to the Retro Junkies. I I made a list this time. So that I won't forget, so that I can actually mention names. Okay, so we got the Cartridge Freaks, which talks about cartridge games, and they do a. Uh, they're big into collecting, so they often have a segment where they talk about the games they've collected. So that's cool. There's the '90s Entertainment Show, which they've got a cool premise too. They take each year of the '90s, they go each year they do a couple of different topics from that year. So 1990, 1991, uh, each year a couple topics: movie, game, something like that. We've got Coleco Visions, which talks about all kinds of Coleco stuff. Which, if you're into, if you remember Coleco from back in the day, then you should probably give that show a listen. Uh, we got No For Quarter, sure. which is arcades, all about arcades. Atari Twenty Six Hundred, which is a game by game show just like ours, but it's about Atari. There's Genesis Gems, which is about Sega Genesis games, and they just do random games, whatever they feel like playing. There's a new show on our network called Retro Obscura which they just talk about retro stuff. They're probably our longest show, too. If you, so if you like listening to long shows, if you've got a really long car drive, then uh, they'll, they're probably a pretty good show to listen to. And we have the Turtle Flakes, which is one of my favorites and one of Justin's favorites, mm-hmm. I know. It's all about Ninja Turtles. And they've, gotten the, nice. they, they've nailed down a couple of really awesome interviews. You, you think we were good for David Crane. Well, they've gotten yeah. Krang, the voice of Krang from... Uh, the Ninja Turtles, the, the old Ninja Turtles cartoon. They've gotten him on the show, and they've nice. gotten uh, one of the biggest illustrators, uh, Jim Lawson, was on their show too. So they've they've nailed nice. down a couple of really awesome mm-hmm. interviews. So I'm a little jealous of them. We're trying to catch up with the David Crane and now Matt here, but uh, we've got a ways to go. No offense, Matt. 
Ah, that's all right. <laughs> and, I'm, and then I'm, I'm I'm as in awe of those names that you just mentioned as as you guys are. Yeah, I was a huge huge fan. Uh, and then lastly, we've got some new shows that are, are trying to come out, but we're having trouble recording shows for them. But they're just like I call them blank junkies shows because they're just there's music junkies, movie junkies, TV junkies, sports junkies. They're just all of us together as a network. If we ever have time, we're recording some kind of show about music or something. And we'll put it up as the blank whatever junkies. So music junkies, whatever. So that's I think I think I got every single one of the shows on our network mentioned. So that's good. So what I'd like to do is before we wrap it up, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about your game? I've done I've looked at your game. I watched uh, went on your website and I actually sure. I saw that article about you guys releasing on Wii U, which kind of has got me really excited because I like playing on the Wii sure. U. But tell us a little bit yeah. about what the game is, real quick. Sure. Um, so our game's called Hive Jump, uh, and it's a 2D style. So we've got this retro feel, pixel art, you know, kind of 16-bit era style. Um, 2D side-scrolling, right? So there's the met- start of the Metroid reference there. Um, and it's an action shooter. Um, the idea is that you control a group of space marines, you and a couple of friends. So it's a very multiplayer game, um, both local and online co-op. Um, and you're descending into an alien planet, um, deep below the surface, navigating their subterranean hive-like caverns um, in a quest to really destroy this uh, this hive of alien beings because they have become very violent um, and aggressive a la uh, Starship Troopers style where there was once a peaceful colony on this planet that has then become mysteriously silent uh, because this alien race has gone uh, kind of bonkers and 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 aggressive and uh, destroyed the human presence there. So, set in the far off future, twenty four XX, we'll call it. <laughs> um, and um, the gameplay is is very action packed. Um, similarities to Metroid um, are certainly kind of the theme and the visual style. Um, there are a variety of different weapons that you can uh, equip. Um, some, you know, very traditional, just kind of straight, kind of bullet rapid fire type weapons. Some very kind of uh, crazy, you know, weapons that split, weapons that, uh, you know, seek out um, what you're shooting at, um, do wave beam types of things. So heavy inspirations from uh, Metroid and other early NES games like Contra. Um, and your quest as a team is to navigate through this hive and get to the the queen room, kind of the, the boss room, and set a... Uh, uh, this transponder uh, device that will allow your mothership to beam in a kind of this modified nuke that will destroy the alien presence on this hive and kind of reclaim the planet for mankind. Um, so the idea is that each of these jumps, as we call them, where the jump part comes from, is you descending into a unique planet that is randomly generated. So we use um, procedurally generated levels. So every hive you jump into is different. Um, and, uh, as you continue to liberate these planets, you kind of re- reclaim your galactic influence, uh, uh, from the, this alien species. So it's a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of action, a little bit of strategy in that regard, and that you're trying to kind of reclaim this galaxy for mankind. Um, but certainly very action packed, um, certainly, uh, you know, replayable in that, you know, you, we're wanting this to be very much a multiplayer game. You can play single player, but how we've kind of structured everything is so that you can play either, you know, on the couch with your friends um, or through online multiplayer. Um, 
lots of different weapons uh, to choose from. They're all very kind of moddable, so you might start with a base material like, say, ice, and then you might add a modifier to that gun that allows it to split into three beams, and then you might add a modifier that adds knockback or uh, damage over time or something like that. So there's a little bit of flexibility there in this game as well um, in that you can not only play you know, different, you know, not play the same level twice, but, you know, you can try all these different gun modifications. Of course, playing with friends is a lot of fun and, uh, and go at it that way. So, you know, when we kind of try and sum it up, we say it's kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Starship Troopers meets Contra with a little bit of Metroid, uh, you know, injected in there. So, um, definitely things that we were inspired by, um, that we think are exciting and, uh, yeah, and it's been, been great so far. So we've been in development for uh, a couple of months off and on. We kind of really started kicking off the idea uh, end of last year and um, targeted at PC first. Uh, so we were just greenlit on Steam uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe just two weeks ago. So we're definitely coming to PC and then just announced maybe in the last couple of days that we are looking at um, and targeting Wii U as well. Um, you know, we're huge Nintendo fans. We grew up on the stuff, all the guys in our shop, um, and uh, have had some experience making games for the Wii in the past. Um, so we know Nintendo, we're experienced Nintendo developers, and uh, with Nintendo uh, and Unity's partnership, we're making this game in Unity, the engine. Um, it's made it very uh, much more accessible for indie devs to publish to the Wii U based on that partnership. So... We're super excited to announce the Wii U. We think it's, uh, you know, a great place for this game to, to, to play. And uh, yeah, we're just um, now we just gotta get the game finished up and and keep pushing it forward. And um, we hope that in the next uh, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month, we might have a playable version. You know, kind of a real early prototype that we could share with the community. So uh, if that's the case, we'll get in touch with you and and your listeners. Um, so that we can kind of promote the game through your network and uh, people can get some Metroid-inspired uh, gameplay, early access type of stuff happening uh, for Hydrogen. Awesome. Cool. All right, Justin, uh, you want to shout out our stuff real quick as we end the show? Yeah, so check us out, nesdudes.com. It's our website. Download all of our podcasts there. See our little show notes. Obviously, follow us and like us on Facebook and Twitter, um, and give us a five-star review. We'll talk about you on the show, and um, yeah, so check us out. <laughs> we'll talk about yeah. you. <laughs> we'll also talk about you behind your back, <laughs> just so you know. That's right. All right. <laughs> All right, so here comes the noises and the bleeps and bloops for next week's game. And thanks, Matt, for coming yes, on. Yes, thanks a lot. It's been great. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. This is great. Thank Keep you. up the good work. Thank you. Will do. See you. Yeah.